Exodus chapter 5, um, verses 1 to 21. And uh, may we have hearts and minds to hear, hey? Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? You do not, I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of, of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are, more, are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply them, uh, supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make, make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work, you will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not uh, to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to, to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. This is a word John is going to speak on later. Let's get if um, you've ever experienced a time when you have uh, really felt that there was something that God was calling you to do, but you've been nervous about it. I mean, you've been thinking, can I really do this? And perhaps you've been a bit afraid of whether you fail or whether people laugh at you or people make fun of you. And I wonder if you've ever been in an experience when you've actually stepped out in great faith and just breathed in the moment of someone who, being, knowing what it feels like to be someone who's obeyed God and had incredible reward. I mean, I think of some people that have said, oh, I could never get baptised, no, no. And then as they go under and up they come, and everyone just claps and cheers and they say, thank you, God. I'm so glad I obeyed. I responded. 
Look what's happened. Or if you've ever been sitting crying with a friend who's just given their lives to the Lord and you think, God, I'm so glad I obeyed you in speaking when you prompted me to. Have you ever felt like that? Responded to what God was saying and things go so right. It's a risk in those moments, isn't it? Because things can go very wrong or they can go really right. Now, I don't know whether God was a part of what you're about to see now, but I know it was one of those moments where things could go really wrong or really right. Uh, Paul Potts came to sing. This is on YouTube, so the quality is not that great, but this is from Britain's Got Talent. And see what happens when this guy takes a brave step out. The world of showbiz seems a million miles away. It's Paul, a mobile phone salesman from South Wales. By day, I sell mobile phones. My dream is to spend my life doing what I feel that I was born to do. Paul, what are you here for today, Paul? To sing opera. I've always wanted to sing as a career. Confidence is, has always been sort of like a difficult thing for me. I've always found it a little bit difficult to be completely confident in myself. OK. Ready when you are. expecting that. No, neither was I. <laughs> this was a complete breath of fresh air. I thought you were absolutely fantastic. You have an incredible voice. I think if you keep singing like that, you are going to be one of the favourites to win this whole competition. I think that we've got a case of a little lump of coal here that is going to turn into a diamond. 
Okay. Moment of truth, young man. Piers. Absolutely yes. Amanda. Yes. Paul. You are true to the track. Well, let's give it up for Paul Potts, hey? <laughs> well, that was really good. Um, Paul Potts, full of nervousness, full of uncertainty, goes out courageously and he won the whole series of Britain's Got Talent. He took the first prize. Someone who was afraid took a step out and what an incredible result. In this passage, in the, in the story of uh, Moses so far, we've seen that Moses was really afraid and he was uh, afraid of what, uh, you know, what would happen if he said yes to God. You remember how uh, Moses came and, and saw the burning bush and God called to him in the burning bush and he came to it and he spoke to him. And, you know, uh, Moses' first response when God talked to him and sort of said, I want you to do some things for me, was, well, who am I? Remember that? Who am I? And God's response was, you know, it's not about who are you, it's who am I, and I will be with you. And Moses' response was, well, who are you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and he says, well, I am the I am, I'm the one who always has been and always is. And then God says, now, now Moses, I want you to go and I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell them, let my people go. I want you to go. And Moses replied, but what if they don't listen to me? And God said, I tell you what, I'll give you these signs. Here's a staff. I want you to throw it down. And he threw down the staff. And as it hit the ground, it turned into a snake. And he said, pick it up. And as he picked it up, it turned back into a staff again. He said, that's not all. I'll give you another sign. Put your hand in your coat. And as he put it in and he took it out, it was all leprous. And then he put it back in again and he took it out and it was clean again. All right. And then he said, and look, if they still won't believe you after that, Grab some stuff from the Nile, some water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, and when you do that, it's going to turn into blood. And, and this, will, uh, this ought to do it. You know, these are some signs I'll give you. And so Moses then said, but Lord, I'm not a good speaker. I'm kind of slow with my words and I get all muddled up. And God said, I gave you the mouth that you have. I kind of... Uh, can make people hear or make them deaf. I can make people blind or see. I can give you 20-20 vision if I want. He didn't say those exact words. But he says, remember, I am. And Moses says, send someone else. And God gets really mad and he says, now what about your brother Aaron? He can speak. I'll give him the words and I'll, I'll give you the words and he can speak them for you. And so Moses, kind of after all these complaints, fearfully, says, all right, God, if, if you're going to be with me, 
If you're the one that's going to help me through this, I'll, I'll go. So he goes to his father-in-law, Jethro, and he says to him, you know, can I go off back to Egypt? And, and off he goes. 80 years after he was first put in the burning, uh, not in the burning bush, after he was, <laughs> thank goodness he wasn't put in that burning bush, uh, but after he was put in the basket and into the Nile, uh, 80 years after that, he heads back to Egypt. You know, the place that he'd fled 40 years before. He was going back there again. And this time, after all the experiences he had, he had a different response. He had a call of God. He'd seen a burning bush. He had three signs that he could use if they didn't believe him. Not only, not only that, he knew now God is able. You know, Mason had, has spoke to us a few weeks ago saying, God is able. He's able to do it. And, and Moses needed to hear that. And, and just last week too, you know, Phil was saying, hey, God's, God is a God of providence and his purposes he will and can work out. Moses would have been walking back after his 80 years thinking God is able. God's a God of providence. He would have been looking for the Britain's Got Talent entry door, nervous, ready to go up and do what God had called him to do, to go and speak to Pharaoh. At the end of chapter 4, what we see is uh, God says to Aaron, just confirming that this is right, you know, go out and meet Moses. And so he goes into the desert to meet Moses. And then he tells Aaron, Moses tells Aaron everything that God has told him. And he explains it all to him so that Aaron understands. He shows him the miraculous signs. And no doubt, Aaron was really impressed with what he saw. So far, so good. And he gets to Egypt and he gathers, him and Aaron gather all the leaders and the elders of the Israelites together. It says at the end of chapter 4, and told them everything that God had said to Moses. And you know what? He performed the miracles to them. And you know what their response was? They believed. They accepted. In fact, their response was that they worshipped God. They bowed down because they realised that God was concerned about their misery. What an incredible moment for Moses. He's kind of walking up the stage now, you know. Wow, it's all happening. Aaron's come and met me. I've talked to him. I've shown him the signs. Now I'm coming up here. All the elders have accepted and seen what I'm here for. They're even worshipping God because they've sent me to come and release the Israelites. And they're excited. And he comes and it says in the start of this chapter that Moses came, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. They're obeying. They're doing what God has told them to do. And, and this is where we come. Moses was about to learn some things, though, some tough lessons right here, that Paul Potts isn't always how it works out when you're trusting in God. Just because you trust in God doesn't mean that you go down easy street. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden uh, things get easier. Do you know, one of the things that we, we often think is when you do a Moses, what you do when you say yes to God, that things start to work out smoothly for you. 
from that point. You know, people who trust in God shouldn't have bad things happen to them. In fact, people who trust in God, things could, should get, you know, go smooth. There shouldn't be problems for people. I mean, shouldn't you start to shine after you become a Christian and start following him? Shouldn't you start singing that song, I've got the joy, 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 you know, all the time. You know that, I'm in right up, right up, right up, right, happy all the time. Isn't that the way it works? You say yes to God and things work out, especially a God who's able, especially a God who is, you know, a God of providence who can work out his plans. Initially, let's see what happens with the discussions with Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron, they, they go in and they say to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. Let my people go to the desert to hold a festival to me. That's what God's saying, Pharaoh. And instead of receiving, oh, that's a great idea. Well, you know, obviously you've come from God, as Moses and Aaron obviously had hoped. What Pharaoh says is, no. In other, almost he says that. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I don't know him. I don't know who he is. And I will not let Israel go. No. He says, it's not what's supposed to happen when you obey God. Moses had made every excuse possible and God had agreed to make things uh, go smooth, hadn't he? Moses must have been thinking. This wasn't the deal. I bet Moses felt like running away. He'd already offered excuse after excuse after excuse and then he finally obeys and he gets a no, just like that. But instead of running away, Moses and Aaron uh, continue to speak. They answer him back and they say, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. That's who he is, you know, they say. So let us make this three-day journey uh, in, the, in the desert. Let us go out. Let us sacrifice to the Lord or... Um, God might just strike us down. You know, he might bring some plagues on us or he might uh, bring the sword on us. So you better let us go. And this time Pharaoh says, no. Again, straight like that. And then he says to him, you, you two are stopping people from going about doing their work. There's lots of people here. There's a lot of work to be done and you are stopping them from getting the work, to, work done. And, and, and he says, so get back to work. Stop it. Stop mucking around. And here you kind of see the power of this Pharaoh guy, that what he says goes and he's not going to be moved easily. Moses and Aaron must have walked out and thought, that didn't quite go as planned. That was nowhere near a Paul Potts. In fact, it was a, it was a flopper. Uh, and they would have probably said, God, you know, remember, you got us into this. Like Moses probably said, I was just out in a desert all by myself. I didn't ask to be here. You got me here. You know, remember, you're... God who's able, you're able to bring about your purposes. From this point, though, instead of things getting better, they go from bad 
to worse. Look what happens. It says that day, uh, it, 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 it explains that that day, actually things didn't go better. They, they were worse because Pharaoh gave a command. And he gave a command to the slave drivers and the foremen of Israel. And they, and they said, you, you're to tell them these words. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. This would have had untold consequences for the people that were already slaves, were already working hard. And he's saying, now, look, instead of us bringing the straw that's so crucial for making bricks, now you've got to go and get the straw yourself and make the bricks. And they would have thought, how on earth are we going to do that? Then on top of that, he says, and by the way, you're going to make exactly the same quota of bricks every day. Hmm. How are we going to do that? It says uh, that when, he, he, when Pharaoh said that to the, to the foreman and to the slave drivers, they went out and told the people, and it says that they scattered. The people scattered. Well, they scattered all over Egypt, and they were looking around everywhere, trying to find bits of straw that they could bring back to make it. And you know what? The inevitable thing started to happen is that these people couldn't find enough straw, and they came back, and the quota was not met. And so... The slave drivers, instead of saying, you know, these are just pretty unreasonable demands we met and, you know, we weren't really going to... They start beating them. They start beating into them, laying into them and saying, why aren't you meeting your quota? You were supposed to be meeting the quota. And, and the, the Israel, Israeli foremen are saying, but, but this, this is not fair. In fact, the passage goes on to say that they actually went back to Pharaoh and they said, this is unfair you know, the, the thing is that we, you have said to us, that, that you've said to our slave drivers that you, we've got to go and get the bricks and when, when we've got to make these bricks, but then we've got to get our own straw. And when we've failed in that, you've beat, got them to beat us and yet it's not even our fault. It's their fault for asking us unreasonable demands. And you know what Pharaoh's response was? Lazy, lazy, lazy. It's what you are. He's saying, you're lazy. That's why you keep saying to us, let's go and worship our God. Let's go and sacrifice to the Lord out in the desert. Now he says, get back to work. Get back to work. And you must produce the full quota of bricks. He's not relenting at all. And they know they've already been suffering beatings and they've come and they've pleaded for mercy. And instead of finding mercy, they've just said, Pharaoh's just said, I'm not budging. It's going from bad to worse. And they're walking out just knowing that the future will be more beatings, more impossible demands for them to meet, and they're not going to be able to meet them. And they're just going to be, you know, beaten black and blue. And they're down. And you know what happens then? As they walk away thinking, We're, this is terrible. Then right in front of them, as they leave Pharaoh, is Moses and Aaron. They're right there in front of him, Moses and Aaron, right there. And they see them, the ones that got them into this mess in the first place. And listen to what they say in verse 21 of chapter 5. May the Lord look upon you. This is the, the Israeli foreman who are responsible for looking over the Israeli slaves. And, and, and he said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. 
You have made us a stench, stench, a smell, an unpleasantness to Pharaoh and his officials. And you've put a sword in his hand to kill us. This is Moses. Never put himself up as a fabulous leader. Minding his own business out in the desert. Ends up getting called, gets the sign, gets the everything, comes back and he finds himself now being hated by the ones who he loved and he wanted to help. What happened to I'm inside, outside, upside, right, uh, however it goes, happy all the time? Isn't it supposed to go right for people who obey God? Aren't things supposed to work out really well when you take the step of faith and you obey him? What was going wrong in this passage? You know what the answer is? Nothing. Nothing was going wrong. What's wrong is the thought that when you follow God, everything will go right. It's not in the Bible. In, in, in fact, I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart or I'm inside out, right, upside down, right, happy all the time. It's not, they're not Bible verses. In fact, the, the truth is if you want to live a life of obeying God, the Bible never teaches that it will be a life without bumps. The Bible never teaches that it will be easy if you follow him. It never mentions that you won't get picked on because of your faith. It never mentions that your actions won't attract hostilities. It says rejoice when you face persecutions. It's as though, you know, whoever wants to live a godly life should expect things to go wrong. The Bible never says it's a bed of roses. Come and have an easy, lovely pain-free life. So what's going on in this passage? I think here God's teaching Moses, and I think he wants to teach you and me tonight, that when things go wrong in your life, they, they, it doesn't mean that you're not surrendered to him. I think he's teaching that if you are obeying God and you're surrendered to him, even, even then, things might go wrong. But, you know, obeying him is always right, even when things go wrong. Obeying God is always right, even when things go wrong. I think that's just not taught in this passage here. I think it's taught right through the whole Bible. That if you obey God, it's better to obey God, and it's always right to obey him, even when things go wrong. And I think the chap- chapter after chapter through the Bible shows that this is true. You know, I think the, the lessons that Moses learned at this crucial time in his life would be so important for his future role as a, as a leader of the people of Israel. You know, in, in times ahead, he would find himself leading these people out into the desert where thing after thing would go wrong 
He'd find them hungry. He'd find them starving. He'd find himself right up in a cul-de-sac where the only way ahead was a sea that no one had ever heard of ever being parted before. And yet right through that, he would have to obey God, hold up your hand, even when no one's ever done it before, and obey him, even though things look to be going wrong all around. And Moses would learn in these pages here that it's always right to obey God, even when things go wrong. You know, I think time and time again, we see the principle. You know, Daniel, Daniel was an important administrator in the kingdom of which Darius ruled. And Daniel was someone who obeyed God by praying. He prayed regularly throughout the day. And, and even when a law was made that would stop and make it a, 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 would forbid people from praying to any other God except King Darius. Do you know what he did? He knew that it was better to do what's right even when things go wrong. So he prayed. And you know what? Things didn't go better. Things didn't get all joy, joy. He got thrown into, he got arrested. And he ended up being thrown into a lion's den. Things got worse, hey? It was terrible. But because he continued to do what was right, even when things went wrong, God was able to rescue him from the most hopeless of situations. And even King Darius praised Daniel's God as a result. You know, not only uh, Daniel, but I think about Paul the Apostle. You know, uh, he, he was converted... On the road to Damascus, came face to face with Jesus. And instead of his eyes being opened, they were spiritually, but he was blinded. So he went from someone who was persecuting Christians and throwing his weight around to someone who was blind and couldn't see anybody. And then he, he had a friend who came around and helped him. And, and, and then from that point on, even the Christians, which he'd become one of, were suspicious of him. And he, was, he, he had to sort of, you know, be sort of out on the outer for a long time because people were afraid because he'd been killing people. You know, in Paul's life, his Christian journey is just a demonstration of the fact that doing what's right, doing, obeying God is always right even when things go wrong because Paul, <coughs> Paul was stoned, Paul was beaten, he was shipwrecked. He ended up in jail time and time again. Uh, ultimately, Paul's life was one of, of persecution and suffering. But you know what? He didn't say it's too hard. I'm going to go. I'm going to give up. I'm going to move away. I'm going to change. You know, I, I just want an easy road. He kept on obeying God even when around him things seemed to be going wrong. You know what we've got today? We've got so many of the books of the Bible written by Paul. We've got, uh, we see his incredible work in, in the book of Acts, planning churches and encouraging the growth of the church, which we're a part of today because he knew that it's not just happy, happy all the time and when things go wrong, God's got it wrong. But he trusted in God in the midst of those times. He obeyed him and God used his life in a way that he never would have if he'd given up. You know, Paul was the one who wrote one Corinthians 15:58 where it says stand firm let nothing 
move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. I can think of him, him writing that. Always give yourself fully to the Lord. You know, after suffering an, another beating or being thrown in jail, always give yourself. Because you know, he goes on to say, that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Even when it feels like it. Even when no one else is thankful or your ministry that you've been involved in has fallen apart or even when you try and share your faith and you just get kicked back again and you feel like, I don't think I, you know, I'm not sure about this. Paul would say, your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Do you know, I think not only people in the pages of scripture confirm this principle, but right down through the history of time, people have known the benefits of trusting and obeying God even when things went wrong. And God was able to use them in incredible ways. I think of William Carey. He was born in in 1764. He was an English Protestant missionary and a Baptist minister. And he's today known as the father of the Baptist Missionary Society. And he, uh, he was a missionary in India. And he translated while he was there in India the Bible into Bengali and Sanskrit and numerous other languages and dialects. You know, a title of a book on his life is, by Nancy Martin is called this. It's called William Carey, The Man Who Never Gave Up. And it wasn't through everything going right. In fact, William Carey's story is one of continued hardship and trouble and yet still doing what he knew God had called him to even when things seemed to go wrong. For instance, he arrived in India in 1793 and it took a full seven years before one person came to the Lord. In trying to translate the Bible in India, being over there, his son Peter died of dysentery and his wife, uh, as a result of her son's death, had a nervous breakdown from which she never recovered. She died early too. He wrote these words. As a boy, he said, if I begin a thing, I must finish it. Uh, As a young man, he, he, he said these words. He says, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And as an older man, he said, I've run the race that was set before me. I've finished the course. He took the words of Paul the Apostle in his older Uh, his later life. Do you know, uh, William Carey knew that it's always right to obey God, even when things go wrong. Just recently, we've heard a lot about the story of William Wilberforce, a man who worked tirelessly year after year to try and get legislation through parliament that would actually change the laws in slavery and abolish slavery. In the face of incredible opposition, blow after blow, William Wilberforce persisted. He continued. He continued to fight for what he knew God had called him to, even when things went wrong. William Wilberforce knew that it was always right to obey God, even when things go wrong. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. He, he spoke in front of hundreds of thousands, I think more over thousands at the Washington, D.C. 
memorial. He said, I have a dream. And his dream that one day black and white would sit down together. That people would not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. He said, I have a dream. You know what happened because of his dream? He was, his family suffered uh, bomb threats in their home. Uh, they got phone call after phone call of abusive uh, people calling. One day he was, he was in a, a hotel lobby and one man just came and smashed him right in the face. And he was thrown in jail. Uh, even Christian pastors in the area told him that he was crazy for what he was doing. Yet he knew that it's always right to obey God, even when things went wrong. He, he, he said, you know, I'm not fearing anyone now. I've been to the mountainside. I've seen the other, I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the other side and I don't fear anyone. And not too many days later, he was shot early morning on April the 4th, uh, 1968. He knew that obeying God was right even when things went wrong. And you know what? God was able to use his life to bring incredible change, to change public opinion, to bring about uh, significant steps towards the uh, you know, reduction of racial discrimination. Do you know, we talked about all the greats and so many people that have trusted in God and done what's right, obeying him even when things have gone wrong. But what about us? Now, I can remember in my life when uh, I, I went to Baronia Baptist Church when I was five years old. And when I was 25 years later, 25 years later, I left that church and I was the associate pastor there and people had said, oh, Jonathan, he's, he's grown up here. Everyone knows him and loves him. His mum and dad are there. And some people said, you need to get out in the real world, buddy. And they said, this will be good for you, you know, where not everyone you know, is, has, has seen you grown up and all those kind of things. So I, I went as part of my ordination becoming a pastor to take um, a, a church. So Mandy and I went to Dandenong Baptist Church. I had big hopes and dreams. My, father was, my grandfather was a, a Baptist minister. He'd always said I'd make a good pastor. So I remember arriving at Dandenong with, with Mandy and, and myself and we went into the manse and we cried. It was really a pretty terrible manse <laughs> from where we were. We sat together and thought, oh, well, this is where we are. I found out within just a few days that there was another guy who thought he was the pastor of the church as well. So I had to quickly try and figure out who, whether I was the pastor or whether this other guy was the pastor. And we had to sit down and just kind of sort it all out. And then everywhere I went, there were broken door handles and things were broken, the overhead projector didn't work. And, and then all of a sudden people said, we're so glad you're here, Jonathan. It's great. We're just going to have a break now. <laughs> we're exhausted. And one by one, people stopped serving and, and took a break. And I remember times thinking, wow, this is hard. 
small children, everything's broken. And I can identify with what Moses must have felt like. But in the midst of that, I think God uses those times to challenge us about what's important, to remind us that it's not about our own comfort and easy street and everything going right, but to remind us that God wants to use us. And sometimes it's through difficulties and challenges. I wonder about you. Have you faced times when you know what it's like to think that everything was going great and everything would be fine because you're stepping out in faith and yet you found yourself wondering whether God's just left you on your own or you're in good company because this is often one of the ways God refines us. And maybe for you, you've put your trust in Jesus and you've said, God, I just want you to help me now. I know the most important thing in your, for me would be to find a nice you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or, or a husband or a wife. And then, God, you know about the whole rest of my life and I know that if you could just find me someone who was going to help me grow in my faith and be someone who I could be a Christian person, you know my heart's for that and... You just thought that prayer would be answered, but it's been, you know, now a couple of days already. No, I mean, <laughs> maybe for you it's been years and years. Maybe for you it's been a long, long time and you're just saying, God, can't you hear me? I just hope that you would just provide the right one. Maybe for you, you've got married and you've thought, this is no Richard Gear." <laughs> Or maybe it hasn't been perfect like you thought it would be. Maybe there's some arguments or or, or troubles that are coming and you experience what it might be like to think, I just thought that obeying you, God, would mean that everything would go right. But now I'm realising I've got to trust you and obey you even when things are going wrong. Wonder for you whether you thought you'd be great in ministry and you really thought that actually as soon as you started, people would just acknowledge your gifts and things would go really well. But maybe for you now you sit with a sort of memory of what it was like serving in part of an area where things just went pear-shaped for you. And perhaps you knew that God was saying to stay and keep working through those issues But for you, you said, I'd prefer just to withdraw, not face it. Maybe God's not called me here because things are going wrong. Maybe tonight you're realising it's always right to obey God, even when things go wrong. And maybe the very conflict that you experienced in ministry might be the very thing that he wants to refine you and shape you in so that you can be used like Moses was, like Wilberforce, like Carey. You know, being Christian is not all about success. It's about continuing to obey a God who is worthy of everything that we have, whether people 
applaud you. Whether you get three, yes, you're through to the next rounds. Or whether no one wants to sing your praise. God says, I want you to be mine. And the things that you face, good or bad, I want to use them to lead you. I think all that we need to do right through the stages of responding to God is just to say yes. There's nothing wrong with great times. I love them. I love it when things go right and everything falls together and it's a great plan and there's high fives around. And that's a time to praise God. But if that doesn't happen, remember it's always best. It's always right to obey God, even when things go wrong. Maybe tonight it's just for you to say, yes, God. I want to do what's right. I want to obey you. I don't want to run. I don't want to leave ministry, change jobs, run away from a relationship just because it's hard. I don't want to change churches leave my small group, you know, disobey you, God, just because it's hard. I agree tonight. That might be just what you want to say. I I agree tonight. It's always right to obey you, even when things go right and even when things go wrong. Why don't we pray together tonight? God, we just thank you that you've given us so many examples in your word of people that you've used greatly that have been through the most difficult stages. And God, tonight we just want to ask that right now for those that are going through the most difficult stages, that you would just speak to them tonight. Let them know you're with them. God, just would you remind them of your presence with them and that you're pleased with them, even though things might not be going so great as they'd hoped. And tonight, if, if that's you, would you just take these moments to say, God, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to acknowledge it's not about me. It's about keeping my eyes on you. Maybe you just want to say that right now. And tonight, God, I just want to pray for all of us that have committed to live our lives in obedience to you, that you would give us the courage, the strength, the perseverance to always do what's right. Always obey you. Always follow you. No turning back, no turning back. Even when things go wrong. And God, we look forward to that day when we stand before you face to face and you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. God, it might not happen in our lifetime. It might not happen for many, many years, but we know it will happen for those who obey you 
one day when we meet you face to face. We say, yes, God. We commit ourselves to obedience and following you no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.